Today, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant and a reaction to an article, 16 Money Rules That Millionaires Swear By, today on the Broke at 40 podcast, coming up next. Hey, before we start our episode, always remember, if you don't want to be broke at 40 like I was, or if you are broke at 40, stay tuned on a weekly basis where I explore the basics of personal finance and more importantly, the behaviors that can bring you from broke to brilliance, whatever you think brilliance may be. And as always, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult with a financial advisor if necessary. My name is Evan Thomas, and this is the Broke at 40 podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Evan. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Broke at 40 podcast. Before we get started on my reaction to an article titled 16 Money Rules That Millionaires Swear By, I just want to have a few minutes here and talk through my money thoughts of the week. And I'm actually introducing this new series to the Broke at 40 podcast, which is going to be a reaction to something that I'm going to read in the episode to you the first time I'm actually looking at it. So I was kind of scrolling through some things um, through, I guess it's Yahoo Finance, I believe it is. And I was in my phone and I clicked on a little article that said the 16 money rules that millionaires swear by. And I haven't read it yet, but I scrolled through and it's all sorts of people in the financial space that are very famous that write books and have uh, all sorts of um, you know, television shows and things like that. And I'm going to bring that to you here today because I'm curious about what they say about the money rules that millionaires swear by. And I'm going to react to it real time for you as I'm reading it. Um, and it may even turn into a little bit of a rant. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but that's what we're going to be talking about on today's episode because, again, I'm curious about what they have to say because they make you know, millions and perhaps billions of dollars. And I, you know, are they really in touch with people like me and people like you, normal people in the world that are just trying to get by and do better and save money and get their savings rate up and get their expenses down? And hopefully after, you know, 15 years or so, try to get to maybe a million dollar net worth, you know, all those things, right? But we're just normal people. I'm an amateur podcaster, as you know. And I'm just bringing content to you because I hope that you can relate to somebody like me. And yes, we can probably learn from people, these millionaires in this article that I'm going to read. But yeah, it's, you know, let's bring it down to our level. <laughs> um, and anyway, I'm going to react to and um, share my thoughts with what they have to say and see if it's what I've done over the past 15 years and if I agree with them. Um, but before I do that, again, I just wanted to talk to you about my money thoughts of the week. And I did want to spend just here a moment as well talking about last week's episode where I gave a little bit of a heads up about the future of the podcast, which, as you know, I don't know what the future of the podcast is because I have a W-2 job and that takes all of my time. I'm a weekend wealth warrior um, in terms of podcasting. And so um, just like you guys, as you're saving money, I've always said I, all of my listeners, I think, should spend a couple hours on the weekend and think about money and forecast and plan and, you know, recommit and course correct and reevaluate and re-engineer and 
all of those things to help propel you into the future of building wealth. And I'm kind of looking at then podcasting in the same vein of how I've looked at saving money over time is that it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way where I don't know what the future will be for this, but it doesn't matter. I know that I'm going in the right direction. I'm improving skill sets, hopefully. I'm learning about podcasting. I'm trying to create a community of like-minded people. And again, if I can spend more time on this, when I do quit my W-2 job, it could be a second career path for me, which it is now. And yet I could devote more time to it and think about what the possibilities may be. Um, remember my episode previously where I talked about the fish philosophy that, you know, for people that are trying to accomplish anything in their life, whether it be money or a, you know, a company that you're creating or anything you're doing, you have to see that vision first and practice it and put it in, you know, the principles and, um, believe in all of those things to see if you really can accomplish that. And if you can make yourself feel as though you're accomplishing it, then the actions and the behaviors will certainly follow. But you have to see that vision first before you can make something happen. So just wanted to anchor to that. Um, I'm going to be doing these episodes regardless of what happens, right? So um, I'm happy that you're here with me on the Broke at 40 podcast. I was actually going through my what what are called the um, analytics of podcasting. And I've noticed I have some listeners in Germany. So if you are listening in Germany, thank you so much for joining me here on the Broke at 40 podcast. I really, really appreciate that you are there listening. It doesn't matter what country that we are in in the world. Uh, money is a universal language. It's behavior. It's all of these things that we have to do, no matter where we live, where we are, what kind of person we are, those types of things. So again, for those of you that are, that are not in the, in the United States and listening from Germany and other countries, again, thank you so much for being here. Um, in addition to the money thoughts of the week, I wanted to share with you that on many episodes in the past, you know that I've talked a little bit about the S&P 500. And I thought I would take a look at wh where we are with the S&P 500 here in October. If you're listening to these episodes as I'm dropping them, it's October 2021. You might be listening to this in many years into the future. Um, but the S&P 500 right now stands uh, mid-October right around 4,400. It's like 4,391 right now. And, you know, in the future, I believe I shared with you previously that Goldman Sachs and some other folks are thinking that this year is going to be amazing, that this stock market is going to continue to go up. And then they've also forecasted for 2022 that the stock market is going to go great as well. But you may have noticed if you're Googling or watching TV, everybody's talking about, aren't they, about a market crash that could be coming, something about China. I don't know. I don't pay attention to all of that. Um, as a latent lifesaver, as I've been over these past 15 years, and as you are, we should just continue, as you know, to block out a lot of the noise and continue with our convictions as it relates to savings. And if we have our allocation correct, then we can weather any type of a storm and you don't need the money right now. So if the markets go down, that's going to be great for you, as you know. Um, but there's all these rumblings that I've heard and I've been seeing lately about a stock market crash that could be coming. 
And again, if you're continuing to work and you're just saving and investing, that's going to be good for us. So, you know, one lady I was watching on a YouTube channel kind of like shocked me that she was giving some advice and she just said, you know, well, this is what I'm doing, but you don't have to do it. Check with the financial advisor. You know, we all say that. That's so true. <laughs> um, but she actually said that she moved all of her money in her 401k to cash. And I thought, oh, okay. That's definitely not in my the line of my thinking, um, but okay. Uh, that, you know, that's, you know, timing the market, as you know, is not such a great idea. And it's hard to do that on both ends of the spectrum of getting out of the market and then when to go back in. You always hear about people after the big stock market crash of 2008 that they're still waiting to get back in. And here it is so many years later. So yeah, don't play those types of games. Just keep your asset allocation where you think it should be and weather the storm, right? If that's going to happen, who knows? And I also want to share with you again before I move forward here that I shared with you recently um, in an episode, I think it was my Dear Dollar Diary episode, where I said that I was maybe going to, you know, get my cash reserves up to like three years of expenses if we go into some type of a bear market for my planning, as you know, going into an early retirement that I don't know when I'm going to do that. It might be the end of this year, the end of next year, but I will tell you, and I'll give you a little preview. I'm, you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm not emotionally really prepared to be pulling the trigger, right? So I was, I got Susie Orman's book out here real quick. Um, she has a book that she wrote at the end of, I think last year about people 50 and older and I read it, but I went back and I looked at some things and her advice was maybe two years um, going into retirement in cash to weather a bear market. And remember, I said, maybe I want to beef that up to um, three years. Well, now I'm thinking more methodology of listening to her and saying more like two years, which I will have if I continue to work through 2022, which is what I just said I'm kind of leaning towards. And that means then I really don't have to keep my 401k percentage really low, like I talked about before, right, to the 6% just to get the match. I can bump it back up to the 27% because just by adding money from my budget, my build a budget, um, in from money in budget from 2022, <clears throat> um, it will get to about 76 to perhaps $80,000 where I'm going to be okay with having a couple years if we go into a bear market. So just thought I'd share that with you. I'll continue. And as you know, um, last year, I um, every time I go into a new year on this podcast, which has only been one year going into 2021, but I will always share with you what I'm thinking about in terms of my budget for the following year, whether that be I'm still working which I'm leaning towards, as you know, for 2022, <laughs> um, or if I pull the trigger or, you know, um, decide to stop working and start living off of the investments, I'm going to share that with you too. Cause I think that's an exciting time where people go into retirement and, you know, you don't hear about too many people sharing their, um, budgets and such in retirement. It's all leading up to. So I will be sharing that with you 
as I move forward. But anyway, the other thing I'd like to share with you before we go into the content of today's episode, which again is my reaction to this article about 16 money rules that millionaires swear by, is I hope that all of you right now that are listening real time in 2021 are really thinking about your 2022 budget, your build a budget. You should be building that budget right now. Don't wait until January to put it all together at the last minute. You may recall in my other episodes where I always encourage people to spend a little bit of time each week on your budget for the entire year, because you guys know I believe in creating an entire budget for the entire year, even if you have lots of debt that you're paying off. In fact, even better if you're doing that so that you can really see and allocate every dollar to where it needs to go. And the only way to really do that, in my opinion, is to not look at just one month, but to look at 12 months on a spreadsheet, remember, and have your columns for in money and out money, and you build the macro so it nets to zero. And you always know exactly how much money you have coming in and how much money you have going out. And you you work that budget throughout the year and you make changes to the money and you move it around into the buckets appropriately based on how the year is going. But the end result is that it's going to end at a net zero because you can't overspend if you look at the budget and you work the budget every single month into 2022. So again, before we get started in this episode today is just take some time this weekend, next weekend, the following weekend, going into you know mid-October, towards the end of October, through the Halloween and get into November. And then you can release that budget on January 1st and you already know it's 100% complete, and then you begin the year. So that, my friends, is your homework before the end of this year. So let's move forward now and segue into the content of today's episode right now. Okay, in a minute, I'm going to pull up that article on my phone, but I just wanted to share with you guys that I sound a little bit out of breath right now, don't I? Um. I want to talk a little bit also going into this season of the year that, you know, I talk a lot about finance, right? And But I also talk about fitness occasionally. And I want you guys to remember that you can be doing exercises throughout the day uh, while you're working from home, or even if you're working in an, in an office somewhere, you can always get up out of your chair and do some exercises. So I just did that a few minutes ago um, during the transition into this segment. And I just wanted to share with you guys, always remember to do that. Get up from your desk. And what I do, I'll share with you quickly, is I do air squats where I just squat to the ground. I lift up, squat to the ground, lift up. I do 10 sets of those. Then I immediately jump down to the floor and I do push-ups, about 20 to 25 push-ups, sometimes less. <laughs> Um, and then one thing I've been doing, which has been bringing me more success with doing these bursts of exercises throughout the day, which by the way, a lot of people say this is the best way to stay in shape. And I agree with it better than going to the gym one hour, you know, once every other day or so to always get your heart rate up with these little exercises that you can do at home. You don't need fancy equipment and such, right? 
So one thing I did then after I do those several, you know, with um, the air squats and the push-ups, is in my closet. Um, I work from home in my bedroom, and the in my closet, just right to my left, is I walk in and I have the dumbbells now sitting up on luggage, which is in my closet, directly to the right when I walk in, and it's at waist level. And I'm finding that now when I'm walking around and I just go into the closet quickly, if I see that at waist level, I pick them up and I do my exercises. It's a visual representation and reminder that you can do that, that you can do your exercises and you should do them. So when I pass through there, I stop, I see it, I do it. You know, and so with the dumbbells, I do shoulder shrugs, 20 of those. I will do deadlifts where you go down to the ground and you go up. And then I do a set of bicep curls. And then I put them down and then I go back to my desk. And if you do that six, seven or eight times a day, you're getting your heart rate up all day long. You're doing your exercises and it's great. It makes you feel amazing. And for those of you that hopefully are out there walking with me to wealth as well, put in your earbuds and listen to this episode. Um, I'm trying to get out there and walk at least three times a week, maybe four. That can help motivate you as well with anything that you do. And it's really a good reminder that I wanted to bring up here in October for you because going into, again, the holiday season with spending, you don't wanna be spending too much. You also don't wanna be eating too much because there's so much going on with the holidays. As you know, that people can extend themselves and eat too much. And then in January, you're like, wow, I can't believe I did that. Um, Then you start seeing the effects of it. So just wanted to share with you guys that it's a good idea to practice those principles of getting up out of your chair and doing your exercises. Let me pull up this article on my phone. And again, I'm reading this for the very first time that I'm sharing with you. So I've got my phone here. It says 16 money rules that millionaires swear by. So I'm gonna read what it says for each of these individuals here. So it says, being a millionaire or billionaire, especially a self-made one, which I am and hopefully you will be too, usually requires being disciplined about saving and spending as well as in investing wisely. Although the super rich can splurge on vacations and fancy cars, um, some eschew a luxurious lifestyle for one that allows them to maintain their wealth over the long term. And as I scroll down, we have the first person here, Kirsten Bell, Kristen Bell, I guess. It says, take advantage of coupons when shopping. So her net worth is 40 million. It says, Frozen star Kristen Bell still clips coupons despite her million dollar net worth. I almost exclusively exclusively shop with coupons, she said, sharing that her personal favorite place to do that is Bed Bath & Beyond. So she uses coupons. Interesting. So let me react to that. I don't use coupons at all. I probably should. Um, I think I shared with you guys that, yeah, my grocery bill is like outrageous. I went to the grocery store just the other day, $200 just for me. It's like, what? Why am I spending so much money? Now, remember, it's still within my Build-A-Budget though, right? So as long as you are not overspending, I kind of borrow from other buckets like gas. I'm not driving my car very much. So even though I have a line item for gas, I typically move that 
and spend it on other things, but still it all nets to zero in my budget for the year. So I can't go wrong, but no, I'm not a coupon cutter clipper. So maybe I should rethink that. I did have an episode for you recently where, you know, as we segue into early retirement, if that's your goal, then you may have time to devote to certain things. And of course, that's a cop out. If I really wanted to do it, I would do it. Um, but yeah, in retirement, you could have more time to devote to things like this. So I find that interesting. That's number, maybe that's number one. Sarah Blakely, create and maintain a nest egg. So her net worth is 1.2 billion. She's the Spandex founder. It says she kept her day job, J job while starting her shapewear company to make sure she'd be able to maintain a healthy nest egg. It's really important to save money and create a nest egg. Become comfortable for yourself with what the nest egg is and don't touch it. Leave it there, she says. She said she's always had a portion of her paycheck put into savings, and that was an automatic, easy way. I didn't quit my job until I'd already landed Neiman Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue. She said she was really careful. At night, she would work on her business, the spandex, and on weekends because she didn't want to have income coming in or because she didn't have a lot of income coming in. Okay. So create and maintain a nest egg. Well, that's great. That's a, I definitely, I don't have too much of a reaction to that. Um, let me move forward here. Warren Buffett, the next one, think of investing as a long-term strategy. Now his net worth is 105 billion. I've talked about him before. And of course we all know Warren, it says billionaire investor Warren Buffett isn't a proponent of active stock trading. Neither am I. It says when we own portions of outstanding businesses with outstanding managements, our favorite holding power is forever. He wrote in 1988. We all we are just the opposite of those who hurry to sell and book profits when companies perform well. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, think of investing as a long-term strategy. Absolutely. Active investing, low-cost index funds for me is the way to go. And I would hope for you as well. Grant Cardone is the next one here. Um, I, I used to get into his content, but not so much anymore. To me, I'll just react to him a little bit before I even read this. Um, he seems to be more like a person that appeals to younger people that are wanting to increase their income, and that's their main goal. Whereas you guys know for me, it was kind of just the opposite. I I did my job. I did a great job. I got small increases, but every time I got a small increase, I put it into my savings and in my investing, and over time, that's how I got to a million-dollar net worth. But people like Grant Cardone that follow him, I've, it seems, are really into how much can they make income, and they really are you know, wanting to acquire... A, a nest egg of so much more than what I'm at, you know? So anyway, it says Grant Cardone is a self-made millionaire, author, and training expert. He recommends hitting a savings goal of $100,000 and then investing any money earned after you hit that amount. Okay. Um, it says you need to prove to yourself that you can go out and get money. Um, Saving $100,000 shows you that you have the ability to make money and then to keep it. Most people can't do either of those things, he says. Once you can earn and save, then you can start building wealth. 
Okay, I don't have much reaction there other than what I just said. I'm I don't follow him. Mark Cuban, uh, don't live beyond your means, even if that means living like a student. Um, his net worth is four point five billion, by the way. Okay, so investor in Shark Tank star, you may know him from there believes that overspending can be an unnecessary cause of stress, and he advocates for living like a student if that's all that you can truly afford. Your biggest enemies are your bills, he wrote. The more you owe, the more you stress. The more you stress over bills, the more difficult it is to, to focus on your goals. The cheaper you can live, the greater your options. Well, isn't that great advice from Mark Cuban? I wouldn't have thought that, but see... They are trying to appeal to people like you and me, even though they know they've got billions of net worth, millions and billions of net worth. So I think that's interesting, but it's great advice. That's exactly what I do. Definitely don't live be above your means. I've always lived below my means. And as you know, um, just to share with you, if you're a new listener to the Broke at 40 podcast, I had 11 years of just living paycheck to paycheck, as you may know from a recent episode, and I talked about it a lot in the past about my story, and that gave me the skill sets that I needed once the thriving years came. So for many of you right now, you may be in the surviving years, those years where you're just getting by, but make note of those years and relish those years and keep them going. Because once you start making more money, which some of you may be doing, then you will know what to do with that money. You're not going to inflate your lifestyle. You're not going to let lifestyle creep get in the way. You're going to increase your savings rate over the next 15 years, and you will get to where you want to be. Okay, so let me move forward. It says, Bethany Frankel, stay out of the red. Her net worth is $70 million. I don't even know who she is. It says before she was the head of the Skinny Girl Empire. Okay. Yeah, Skinny Girl. I've heard of that. Real Housewives of New York star was a struggling 30-something, okay, who racked up about $20,000 in credit card debt. Her number one money rule is to make sure you have enough saved to pay off your bills. You can't put yourself in a position where if the S hits the fan, you couldn't pay all of your bills at one time. If the world came to an end, I would be able to pay for everything. I might not be left with much, but I can afford what I have. So yeah, definitely. For all of you listening that you're just starting out in personal finance, you definitely want to stay out of the red. And so I do like that she shared a little bit of her story in her 30s, like many of you may be in your 30s right now. And just like for me, I was broke at 40. I had absolutely nothing a negative $50,000 net worth. And then all of that came in the subsequent 15 years because I made the right decisions. It wasn't that I made a fortune in income from my job. I have a normal income, you know, for somebody that's been with their company for 23 years. And so, yeah, I like this. I like that Bethany is sharing her story that in her thirties, she had credit card debt and she rose above that. And even though her lofty goals are higher than any of my goals, we can put it into perspective and say, for us, that's a very, that's very good advice. So don't let yourself get into the red. So if you have debt, pay it off. Uh, the next one here, Sarah Michelle Geller, before you make a major purchase, sleep on it. Her net worth is 30 million. So she, she's a successful actress for decades, it says here. And 
she has the net worth to prove it, um, but she doesn't impulsively buy whatever she wants. She says, I don't like making big purchases. I will go back to stare at a leather jacket for a couple days before she purchases it. So great advice from Sarah Michelle Geller. Um, yeah, for all of us listening, for myself included, do not just jump on any type of a purchase. Think about it, especially if it's a want. And sometimes if it's a low level need, like, you know, I've been sharing with you guys that I just got a hot water heater. Now, yes, I should have done that probably four or five years ago, but I didn't because I was on a mission to get to a million dollar net worth and I just set it aside. <laughs> um, but for, especially for once, this is really amazing advice to think about that purchase, go home, don't impulse and buy it right away. For those of you that do that, and I know there's probably lots of people listening that do that, just stop and say, no, I'm not going to make that purchase. I'm going to go think about it because chances are you may come back to your thought process and say, no, I really didn't need that after all, or want that after all. And you will save yourself thousands of dollars in the long run by doing so. So moving on to the next one, Beyonce, it says, be an independent woman. Her net worth is 500 million. Amazing. So it says she doesn't just sing about being independent, being an independent woman. She says she, says she is one. She's married to one of the richest rappers in the world, but she's a mega success in her own right and thinks that all women should be financially independent too. She says, you know, equality is a myth. And for some reason, everyone accepts the fact that women don't make as much money as men do, she said. Um, in the uh, HBO documentary, Life is But a Dream. I haven't seen that. Um, but she goes on to say, I truly believe that women should be financially independent from their men. And that's, and she says, let's face it, money gives men the power to run the show. It gives men the power to define value and they define what's sexy and men define what's feminine. And she says, that is absolutely ridiculous. So I believe in this 100%. I had one episode in the past, as you know, as a fictitious case study that I created about a woman. What was that episode title? The Suddenly Susan Story. Um, so if you have some time, go back and listen to that if you would like. I'm actually going to be creating some new fictitious case studies here in the near future, so stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, women especially um, really need to think about the their trajectory in their lifetimes as being married to men and not be thinking like this is the 1960s all over again, right? Yeah, we don't, women should not be um, not, they should be sharing in the money decisions. They're married, right? It's a mar it's a unit. So they should be sharing in all of that, even if they're not working, if they're a house, if they're working in the house, you know, and that kind of thing. So they still um, are a family unit. So I absolutely believe in that 100% from what Beyonce said here. The next one, Ashton Kutcher, invest in what you know. So his worth is 200 million. After hearing some of these others, that doesn't seem like much. <laughs> um, actor and venture capitalist Ashton has a simple strategy for choosing investments. Invest in the things that you know. If you drink beer all the time, if you go to the microbreweries and try all kinds of them, you'll probably know which ones are the best. And my advice is to always invest in what you know. I don't have much to say about that. Um, I just invest in S&P 500 index funds. You know, I'm an index investor, so I don't really think about 
that too much, but that's good advice, especially for those of you that might have a small portion of your money set aside that you may want to do individual stocks. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's like 5% or less of what you are investing. I definitely do not have a problem with that. Um, so that's good advice from Aston. Ashton, I guess is his name. Um, Spike Lee, don't be afraid to ask others for money. His net worth is 50 million. And he says, asking others to help fund a project or business that you're passionate about shouldn't be a shameful thing. He says, Oscar nominated director Spike Lee told Well Simple that he's never afraid to ask for funding when he's working on a film he truly believes in. So yeah, a little bit of thoughts about that. Don't be afraid to ask others for money. I don't know. For us at our level um, of, you know, latent lifesavers that are just trying to do our best. I don't have much to say about that one on my reaction here real time. <laughs> um, I'm not really into, you know, creating a company. I know many people are entrepreneurial type related. And so there might be things that you might be getting into that I don't know much about. And if it's for you, then great, you can do that. Um, but let me move on to the next one here, which is Kevin O'Leary. So don't buy or lease a car. His net worth is 400 million. So this personal finance expert from Shark Tank Investor um, has said that buying a car or even leasing one is a bad use of your money. Cars cost a fortune in maintenance and insurance. That's true. Um, which means they go down in value and they lose money. He recommends using public transportation or a ride-sharing service instead. In fact, it goes on to say that he does not have a car. He now relies on Uber and Lyft to get around. Interesting. He must live in the city. Interesting. I want to react to this a little bit. Um, I had a case study. The Stephen was the person in the case study. and. Off the top of my mind, my head, I can't remember the title of that one, <clears throat> but the Becoming Stephen story is what that was called. And my advice to him in my fictitious case study was to maybe go a few years without a car if he, he lived in Dallas and so he could get around. And if, yeah, if your goal, especially for those of you that have debt and you want to expedite it and get out of debt as quickly as you possibly can, which I would highly encourage you to do then you can really think about this and maybe not have a car for a little while. I mean, we're, you know, since the pandemic, people think so differently. If you're working from home all the time, like I am, then you may not even need a car. And in fact, that's something that I think about as well. You guys know I have a Mazda 3 from 2013. It's got 25,000 miles on it. It needs to be painted on the top, the sun hitting down on it. You know, I'll probably get it painted, but it's almost like, do I really need a car? If I wanted to go somewhere, could I use Uber? So it's something I think about. And it's very interesting that here, this man that's worth $400 million doesn't even own a car. Interesting. Very interesting concept. I think this is one of my favorites is because it's so near and dear to my heart that I've actually been thinking that way as well. You know, part of me was like, I should buy a new car. But then it's like, really, Evan? You have 25,000 miles on your car. It's perfectly fine. What are you thinking? I can keep that car five or six more years. So this really appeals to me. I like this one from Kevin O'Leary.
So the next one, as I scroll through, Susie Orman, I'm so happy she made the list. Um, find pleasure in saving money. So it says her net worth is 75 million. So she wants everyone to get as much pleasure out of saving as you do from spending. I remember her saying that when I was watching her show every Saturday night, as you know, and that's what kept me committed to my goals month after month, year after year for over a decade. So just having that camaraderie, that sense of community, the tribe to know that people are watching that were like me wanting to save, maybe they were late in life, maybe they weren't. Um, and that's why I hope that many people are listening to this podcast because then you have a tribe of people that are committed to you know doing better with money over time. Um, so she says that, you know, even though she's a seriously wealthy woman, she gets enjoy out of saving money and using coupons. Okay, interesting. So she uses some coupons as well. I think I've heard her and her partner talking, KT, on her podcast recently about the fact that they do that. Yeah, interesting. So they they make clip coupons because if you get joy out of something like that, then by all means, it's a great idea. And I do love this that she says, find pleasure out of saving money. That is so true. I know many of you listening probably have a lot of pleasure from spending money, going to the mall, buying things, having Amazon deliver boxes to your door. But you really have to change your mindset if you want to have success over time with money and shift that into the pleasure from saving to see that your savings rate, like mine right now, is like over 70%. I'm living off of 30% of my income today from my W-2 job, and I'm saving 71% actually of my income. And that gives me great pleasure. Now, as you know, if you're broke at 40 now, you may not be able to do that. But as you continue to save money or to get increases like I did from 2006 until 2021, yeah, I, I kept getting a little bit more, 3%, 4%, 5% more every year. And I found pleasure in building my budget and trying to get as much of that money as I could into the savings and investing buckets. So yeah, shift, shift your gears into thinking that saving and investing is more pleasurable than the material items or experiences that you could purchase. The next one is... Chris Renning, when it comes to saving, starts small. I do not know this person. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read here. It says, Chris was able to retire in his 30s as a millionaire thanks to smart saving habits. He recommends cutting small costs first before making any drastic lifestyle changes when you're trying to save. He, he says, I know there are people out there that say you shouldn't worry about a $5 coffee, but the more I think about it, Cutting out that coffee is a great place to start because if you try to downsize your house and get rid of your cars and do all these drastic things, it's overwhelming, he says, and you're not going to do any of it. Um, after cutting out his coffee, he says he stopped going out for lunch, which saves, saved him about $15 a day, and next cut out his cost of flying, which he was spending $1,000 a month on. Okay, well, well that's huge. <laughs> um, and he says, finally, the small changes will lead you to be able to make bigger changes. Okay, I love that. So, so this person in his 30s got to a millionaire net worth. And so see, those are the ones that make these articles and not me. 
Um, somebody like me starting at 40 and at 55 having a million dollar net worth doesn't make the news. Why? Why is that? When most people in America are broke at 40. What's up with that? We hear about these young people all the time in the fire community that make these articles. Interesting. But I do like exactly what he's saying. So for those of you that are struggling, you know, saving, start with smaller things and get used to that. Change your behavior. It's all about behavior, as you know. So change your behavior, and then you should be able to do well with things bigger than that in the future. Tony Robbins, use compound interest to build your wealth. So his net worth is $600 million. So it says New York Times bestselling author Tony Robbins wrote on his blog that compound interest is perhaps the most powerful tool in your investment arsenal. He recommends putting aside a portion of each paycheck into an interest-earning investment, such as a high savings account, index funds, or stocks. So I do want to react about this. Tony Robbins, I've read a couple of his books. Money Master the Game, I think, is one of them. If memory serves me correctly, you can Google it. He interviewed a lot of people in the finance space, the big wigs, right? Like the the Vanguard um, CEO that just passed away a couple years ago. Um, and for the life of me, I cannot remember his name. Isn't that crazy? I'll remember in a minute. Love him. Okay, Evan, I'm editing the episode. I cannot believe you forgot the name of your famous idol, John Bogle, the CEO of Vanguard, the founder of the Index Fund, which everybody loves, as you know, in the financial independent community. So cannot believe you forgot that. Sorry, everybody. Evan's having a little bit of a day. So Evan, go ahead. Continue on. Um, but all of these people that um, are in the, you know, fin personal finance space that, yeah, um, and Tony Robbins interviewed all of them and they all said the same thing about compound interest. And we know that we know that compound interest can help us build our wealth over time. And I always say that for light, late in life savers, like we are, and I've had shows about this, um, it it's going to happen. You're going to have compound interest, but it's not going to be as good as if you started at 25, but you can't go back. So stop thinking about that. Live in the present and move forward, you know, have it on your radar for the future. And you know, that your compound interest is going to continue to grow. And as I just shared, I believe in last week's episode, what we tend to forget as we go into retirement, maybe an early retirement for some of you, that the interest continues to accrue there as well. And over a long period of time, it may return a 10%, right? Shorter term, maybe less, as we know, because of the, the fact that over the next 10 years, Investments might return not as much as they have over the past since the bull market, but it's going to happen. There's still going to be compounding interest going on and your money will continue to grow. So I really like that Tony Robbins had, has mentioned this here. The next one, Ed Sharon, give yourself a monthly allowance. So his net worth is $200 million. He's a singer. It says he stashes out, stashes most of his income into savings and limits his spending money 
to a monthly allowance. He uses a he uses his Barclays student account. Um, I've not upgraded because I don't spend much money at all. He says if I had all my money in one account, he would probably spend all of it. Good advice. So for those of you that are having a spending problem, I mean, I always say that personal finance is more about behavior, which is a spending problem. Um, so if you are struggling with that, then give yourself that monthly allowance, your fun money, you know, draw that line item in your build a budget and call it something that, you know, call it an allowance. And that's what you're going to pay yourself. I happen to call it fun money in my budget. And I make sure that I don't spend any more than that. Um, and it balances to zero in my, in my budget. And I believe this is the final one. Yeah, let me scroll through. Oprah Winfrey. So they saved the best for last, perhaps. Depends on what you think. But <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, find a job that doesn't feel like work. Her net worth, $3.5 Can you believe that? It says, Oprah Winfrey held jobs as a babysitter and as a five-and-dime store employee, jobs that she hated before she landed a job that she loved at 17, working at a radio station for $100 a week. She says she would have done it for free. And that's what, um, and that's when I made up my peace with money. I decided that no matter what job I ever did, I wanted the same feeling I got when I first started in radio, the feeling of, I love this so much. Even if you didn't pay me a penny, that she would still be happy being there. I recognize that what I know now for sure, if you can get paid for doing what you love, every paycheck is a bonus. Well, I think Oprah said it best, everybody, as I think about closing out this episode. It is important to find what you truly love to do as you're building wealth. And as you guys know, in some of my past episodes, I, I did explore that in my own psyche of who I am over the past 15 years. You may recall that I had an episode about, you know, being reality-based or fantasy-based. And, you know, sometimes we have to do what we have to do to get to where we want to be with money. But as you explore that and as you build your wealth, and if you're in a job that you don't quite like, find ways in which you can make it enjoyable, either maybe going to different departments if that would be better suited for you like I did many years ago, or maybe find a whole career path all together. But it really does take, uh, sometimes it takes time and you really have to weigh those pros and cons. It may not be such a bad idea to stay where you are, to make the money, and then worry about the things that you love that you can do as well as you transition into maybe passion projects as you move forward. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining me. I'm going to leave you like I always leave you. I want you to make it your mission to walk with me to wealth. And you guys know I appreciate you. I believe in you. And I congratulate you guys for every step of the way. I'm Evan Thomas. I'll see you next week on the Broke at 40 podcast. Alrighty, that's going to do it for another episode, everybody. Hey, I've got a favor. If you've got a friend that's struggling financially at any age, please share this episode with them. 
Let them know that I went from broke to a million dollar net worth in just about 14 years. And if I can do it, anybody can. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star review. We would really appreciate it. What do I always say? It's okay to be broke at 40. It really is, but not at 50 or 55 now that you found us. You can change your financial destiny. I'm Evan Thomas, and this is the Broke at 40 podcast.